0: I'm Jan Abumrad, host of Radio Lab and More Perfect at Dolly Partons America, and these are Bora Voices. The last time the podcast team got together was way back in February of 2020, when the godfather of podcasts, Jad Abumrad, of Radio Lab and Dolly Partons America Fame, visited Bora to meet with the podcast club. And then the next month, the COVID-19 pandemic surged and exploded, and everybody started working from home for 10 months. But now that we're back, We've cleaned out the studio cobwebs and dusted off the mics. You'll hear the full interview that our now graduated student podcaster, Ellie Smith, conducted with Jad in the Bora Library on a cool, crisp
1: February Saturday, 14 months ago. And it is awesome. These are Bora Voices. Cool. Well, hi, guys. Welcome to the panel that we have. Uh, This is Jad Abumrad. And if you just want to introduce yourself a little bit. Sure.
0: I'm Jad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know, I uh, I host a couple podcasts, a couple of radio shows, and, uh, I uh, am very honored to be here, especially to see that you're all here and look awake at, at such an early hour on a Saturday. That is a great honor to me. Uh, so I'm just happy to be here and happy to answer any questions you guys have.
1: Yeah, well, start off, let's just jump right into it. Um, since we're high school students, um... I want to know, like, what were you like in high school? Like, how did you, what did you want to do, and how did you end up getting into podcasting? What was the training? Wow, okay.
0: Was? Uh, what was I like in high school? God, uh, I spent most of the time since trying to forget what I was like in high school. <laughs> um, I was uh, a kind of, I was the guy in the, in the black overcoat with the... Um, not in the creepy like school <laughs> shooter sense but in the, in the just uh, I would have like a keyboard magazine rolled up in my pocket so and a, a really long mullet and oh, uh awesome. I was just I was that guy I was the guy who just was really like, I was kind of a music nerd um cool. and um you know I grew up in Tennessee as a as this Arab kid and so I it was a at a time when, I mean, now Nashville is such a cool, cosmopolitan place, but at the time it wasn't, and so I, uh, I spent a lot of time in my room. Uh, I had a little four-track cassette recorder, uh, is and it you could like record four channels of music and then bounce it down, and I had a little keyboard, and that was basically my high school existence, <laughs> was me, the four-track, and the keyboard, and uh, not a lot... Uh, else, And so, uh, yeah, so for me, like, high school was the thing you just had to endure and get through. But I had this interest, and um, it sort of absorbed me. And then it it weirdly, along the way, ended up becoming a, my job, kind of. You know, I mean, it, my job is as much about talking to people in journalism and exploring ideas. But I, I really feel like it actually was rooted in, like, those years of benign neglect in high school where it was just me and the and the cassette player so.
1: Dang. well since you started podcasting how has the the medium changed like what have you seen it kind of shift from like being oh, yeah. solitary totally. to more group oriented or like
0: totally yeah it changed? i mean you know i so okay just for context mm-hmm. do you guys know like radio lab and more perfect and okay mm-hmm. so I'm seeing half nods. Okay, that's good. So for, for those of you that are nodding just because you feel like you should, I will, I will explain. I, uh, so I started a show called Radio Lab in 2003, back in the Stone Age. And at that time, uh, there really wasn't anything... There were no podcasts at that point. There was, um, there was public radio, and then there was other kinds of radio. But in terms of stories in audio... Really, it was public radio. It was the only thing. And it was really even just, like, an occasional story on the weekend or something. Like, an interesting, weirdly edited story. That was what you would... That was the only place it could happen. So there wasn't, like, a lot of um, options, really, you know? And so then um, This American Life existed, and then Radiolab sort of came in its wake. And for a long time, those were the only two shows that... um, tried to tell interesting, surprising human stories on the radio. And so for a long, long time, that was it for me. And then podcasting happened like round one. We think of podcasting as a as a, as a very much a like last few years situation, but actually it started about uh, 10, 12 years ago. I think it was like 2006, uh, so like 14 years ago. Uh, it came up, it was a really big thing for a second. Uh, a couple of shows, mine included Uh, On the media, which is sort of more of a politics show, really grabbed hold of podcasting. And the moment that it started, I remember it was like this revelatory thing because radio is just ephemeral. Like you, you speak into a mic and then it goes out and it just disappears and then it's gone. And there was no way to like really save it or to hear it again. And you know that that thing where you're in the car and you like look or like you you have a conversation and you go look back to the radio and you've missed it. It's gone. (laughs) And so Radiolab didn't really make sense in that world, you know, because it's very densely composed, a lot of sounds, a lot of things happening. And so it's easy to, like, get overwhelmed and miss what's happening. I'm giving you the really long answer. I'm sorry. No, you're Um, fine. (laughs) So uh, podcasting happens in 2006. Uh, It's a really big story. And then it just goes underground for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, And then it came back recently. And uh, got sort of rediscovered with shows like Serial, I think, brought a yeah. lot of people like, oh my God, yeah, this whole thing, yeah. this, this whole world that, had, that was there for a long time. Yeah, just... But this idea that you could tell these really exciting cinematic stories and there are no pictures is yeah. like a revelation to mm-hmm. a lot of people. And, um, and what we've seen in the last few years is you talk about it like solitary to, mm-hmm. to more of a community uh you've seen it I mean I think initially podcasting 101 or podcasting 1.0 was like public radio rejects yeah and then I think what we've seen in the last few years is you've seen like whole cohorts like comedy has come into podcasting in a huge way it's
1: been
0: um sports has come into podcasting in a huge way you've got um podcasting that's trying to diversify out of like a very kind of traditional white audience so you have all these communities creating podcasts for different uh different communities communities of color marginalized communities and so that you're seeing that coming into podcasting um you're seeing uh a lot of like celebrity interview podcasts now for the first time so like what that tells me is the economy is actually a real thing like it's actually and you're seeing a lot of like um for the first time big budget like uh, Hollywood
1: productions productions yeah. and you're
0: seeing agents like Hollywood agents who are really interested in this world because from that perspective you, you know it's like pod, like you guys made a podcasting studio yeah. for like nothing and that's all you need yeah and like I think that the world is discovering like oh this is a, a way you can create content and ideas that can move the culture for no money yeah it's like yeah. kind of a perfect medium in some way and like so
1: low cost, high reward. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so a lot of people are, are discovering that and kind of coming in and so we're seeing a lot of like it's just it feels like a like a gold rush at the moment, to be yeah. honest.
1: And, like, with its growth, like, you see, like, a bunch of people doing, like, storyline podcasting and, like, a bunch of one-offs. So you'll see, like, um, the one that I listened to, like, the Dolores Roach one with Gimlet Media, where it's, like, a whole mm. story, like, a remake of Sweeney Todd. Like, yeah. something traditional, kind of nuanced into the new format. Like, do you see that continuing? Like, how do you see the future of podcasting? Do you think it'll be, like, more niche or-
0: I don't know. I mean, it's 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 really hard to judge right now. I mean, you have a lot of people. Like, It's just you have a lot of... It's really interesting. So you have a lot of people who, who are seeing the creative possibilities of podcasting yeah. uh, and trying out series and forms and new ways of doing it. The audience has been growing, but it hasn't yeah. been, like, exploding, right? So you yeah, would think, just... based on the amount of attention, that... Um, exponential. That it's exponential. But actually what you see in the, audio, uh, in the audience growth is this. Over, and going back, like, over the last... 15 years, like Edison Research, who measures audience, it, it's kind of like this. It's like a slow incline. They actually say podcasting is the slowest growing medium of anything really? they've ever measured, huh. which is completely That's different weird. than how we think about it. Yeah. Um, but so what you have right now is a, a million podcasts. I think literally they counted it and it's like a million <laughs> oh my God. podcasts. And the audience is growing. And, and now you're at a place where I think more Americans than not have listened to podcasts so i don't know what that means i mean i think that at some level there's going to have to be an adjustment there's going to have to be less podcasts out there (laughs) that's true um but it's so fun that i feel like it's just going to keep attracting people who want to do weird things and you can do the three or four episode thing you know Mm -hmm. i mean getting an audience is hard these days uh, because there's so many choices that uh, a listener has yeah but um but yeah, this is my a long-winded way of saying I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen to podcast.
1: <laughs> well, kind of building off like the the three-four part series thing. Mm-hmm. What like production-wise, like what's the difference between making something like Radio Lab, like a one-off episode, or like Dolly Parton's America, like a big old series where it's like you build up. Like, what's the the difference between how you would format that or your creative process in doing it?
0: Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's the differences are. I guess it's. I mean, Radio Lab is sort of referred to as an anthology show at this mm-hmm. point, and so every episode is kind of telling a unique story that's reinventing the wheel in some way. And so with every episode, you kind of have to sort of introduce your idea, your characters to the audience, and then along the way, usually in the first four minutes, mm-hmm. explain to the audience why they should care about this. Yeah. Um, but with something like Dolly Parton's America, it's interesting in that you have to do that once or twice at the beginning, but then you have... Mm-hmm. character that people know and love and they can kind of they can sort of evolve with the story and so, in a way it's like it's easier to do these multi episode arcs in a way Um, you have to conceive of it all at once which is the hard part and so the hard part for for the Dolly project was that you know I knew I I knew I wanted to do something about Dolly Mm -hmm. Parton but initially, I didn't know what exactly. I knew yeah. I had this strange family connection to her that I could exploit. Mm-hmm. And so I could at least get an interview with her, uh, which turned into two interviews. And am like, okay, there's something here. It's interesting. What is it? Is it a one episode, two episode? Yeah. I don't really know. Uh, I spent a good year and a half in that period of this, like, what is this? How many? What? How, yeah. what what's it going to sound like? You know, so you spend a lot of time at the beginning kind of thinking and interviewing and like, so that lost period is, yeah. is, is expanded at the, at the front end. Yeah. But then in the making of it, it was a lot easier because once I figured that all the forum questions out, it's like, oh, I don't, and and she's Dolly Parton too. So it's like you don't really have to say a whole lot. You just kind of <laughs> let her talk, frankly. So I don't know, like, I mean, every story, every series has its own challenges, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, and this is the first multi-episode thing I've ever done, yeah. you know. I mean, I've done thousands of episodes, but they're usually one-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I Again, I feel like every answer I'm giving you is, <laughs> I don't know, but elaborate it out.
1: And then, kind of like on that point where, like, this stuff takes, like, years to, to produce and make. And then, oftentimes, when you, like listen to them they're tangential like you go through and like you'll introduce like one thing like the other day i was listening to the man versus horse and like you introduce one thing where it's like you're talking about butts and then you move to pigs and then to horses and then right on back to the to the front so how do you like structure that thought process so it's tangential and like makes sense but you can like follow it
0: yeah Yeah. that's a great question um so the man versus horse uh episode she was referring to is uh it it is, a, it's really, it's a, it was, it, you, you begin by meeting a reporter who uh, confesses that she has a big butt. And then she talks about how she got fascinated in butts, the female butt mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, the way that people look at the butt, like, why do we even have a butt? Because apparently that is a real question for our species. No other species has a butt the way that we have a butt. Like, dogs have butts, but they don't have butt muscles. No. <laughs> We're the only, like, species that has a butt muscle. Why is that? Turns out that the answers are fascinating, so she kind of goes into that. Like, apparently, we have to we had to find a way to run and keep our head still, and so we need we needed a muscle in our butt that somehow attached to some other thing that kept our head still. I don't yeah, know. I don't so we know go into weird. all of these things. So it's this like really careful chain of ideas, but ultimately where you land is this race that happens every year, where uh, humans try to outrun horses, <laughs> and uh, apparently the humans beat the horse. This was the first race. Yeah. That, That we covered where the humans beat the horses because the whole theory the scientific theory as to why we stood up on two feet is we we learned to run long distances so that we could outrun big game because running on four legs is harder than running on two legs and so um that's one of the theories and so it was proven correct to some degree in this race because we outran a horse because the horses (laughs) would get tired and then the humans would keep running slowly and anyhow it's a, there's a lot of ideas that happen there. And so what we end up doing is you, you end up doing something like what film writers go through when they storyboard a, uh, a story. You think of it in terms of scenes. You think of it in terms of questions. You think of it in terms of turns, right? So you ask a question. Why do we have butts? Right. You go to a scene. She talks about being in high school and, and feeling a lot of shame about her butt. And then... Suddenly, people like the culture changed, and then big butts yeah. were in. And so she, that's a scene. And then, uh, then she asks another question. But like, what about the like wh- who who studies butts? Apparently, there are people who study butt muscles, and then mm. the butt fat. There's like two wings of science. So, why do we have muscles in our butt? That's another question. Then you go to this other scene, which is a series of people talking about. Um, running, right? Yeah. So you, you structure your story like um, like a film would in a way. Like films introduce characters within a few minutes of the of an action in a film. You understand. Sometimes it's spoken out loud, or sometimes mm-hmm. it's just implicit that this character wants something. That there's a question okay. that they have, okay. and so then you connect with that character because you connect with what they want, okay. and then then a scene happens it somehow furthers and elaborates on this need that this character has we sort of uh, take the same approach you know you have a question you have a scene that plays it out the question then turns into a new question and then the scene so you sort of think of it almost like a comic book you know like what are the frames in your comic book yeah uh, so that you can really see the story at an arc as a a gesture Um, I think what happens a lot with with new producers is they get lost in the tape yeah and you just sit there in Pro Tools or Audition or whatever, you, you know, you just kind of like click, 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 edit, edit, edit. And you're just so in it, your face is literally pressed to the glass. <laughs> so what we spend a lot of time just like drawing arcs on boards and drawing yeah. things to so just try and figure out like, what is the structure here? What's the beginning, middle and end? Because you know, the idea is you want to be able to tell the story in a way that seduces your listener instantly. Yeah. Um, and so we do a lot of, like, the, the, one of the things that we do, and I would encourage you all to do, mm-hmm. is, like, when you're thinking about, okay, like, what is my story? Yeah. Like, grab four people, like, sit them down. And just tell them the story as you best understand it. And just watch their eyes. Okay. You know? And if their so eyes, like, when their eyes are like this, you're like, ooh, remember that. That worked. It's a good one. And then when they kind of do this, like, uh, like, you see their weight shift back. <laughs> you're like, okay, I lost them. Something happened there. So then you just kind of like do that a bunch of times okay. back and forth and you just register the emotional impressions of your audience, your little okay. audience. And then uh, you use that to workshop the structure. You know, like, okay, I lost them in the middle. Like middles are always horrible for stories. So like, okay, what do I do here to mix it up? Well, Maybe my middle should be my beginning and yeah. you sort of start to play around with the structure to okay. see what's the most seductive for your, for your audience.
1: Way to do it, that's clever. So how you talked about like you put it in like a comic book panel like you Mm -hmm. think of it as scenes How do you convert that like kind of inherently visual thing into a medium that's just audio? Like how do you keep it like the same level of like seduction
0: you? You know people people uh, people sometimes say that radio and audio is the most visual medium Hmm. um I don't think that's true. I think TV <laughs> is pretty damn visual but uh, but I do think that like I do think that if you are so I do think actually that you be visual you, yeah. you you it's precisely the lack of pictures that creates the opportunity if you use visual language to like I say, you know, imagine a little red apple on a green, furry mountain, and above it there are these like pink, you know clouds and you can if you use very visual language like people cannot help but imagine it and they paint it in their own mind and so then in that way it's a very empathic thing you know you are creating this thing together like I'm painting a picture but I'm handing you the the paintbrush in a way and so um, so you do you 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 treat it like film Mm -hmm. is what you do you 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 think of the sound as imagery you think of the words as imagery um, and you paint those those scenes the way a filmmaker would and you think of your words like cameras, in a way, good. pointing that's attention. Cool. You know.
1: That's really cool. And then, how do you so? How do you differentiate like which episode topic or theme would convey well into that medium? Like which ones work and which ones don't? Which one makes like a like a good story? And that's a you know the place question. Just yeah. cite your sources.
0: Uh, I mean, which like how do I determine which uh, which is a, a, st- a story best told in a podcast yeah. versus a yeah, other medium? Yeah, another thing. Um, I don't know. You know, I w- I used to worry about that more than I do now. Um, I used to think there were stories that we could never do, but then we did a we did an episode about colors um, on the radio, cool. and it's it's our most downloaded episode of all time. Um, and I think like I think ten million people have downloaded that one episode, oh which is a lot. which is considerably more than the second best one, and. Uh, you know, we, we encountered a moment in that episode where we were talking to a color scientist and we asked the, that that scientist, um, like, who sees the best rainbow? You know, like yeah. if you had like a bunch of different creatures lined up uh, and they're all looking at the same rainbow, you know, like a dog, a sparrow, a human, and cow, I don't know, they're all looking at a rainbow. Yeah. Who sees the best rainbow? Because, you know... All these creatures have different rods and cones in their eyes. Um, dogs probably see black and white rainbows or like kind of a sepia rainbow. Um, we see the rainbow that we see. Turns out that the, the champion of rainbow seeing is a shrimp. <laughs> is, a, is a mantis shrimp. It's this really colorful shrimp that's oh about god. this long. That is, they're, like the, they're like these horribly violent little bastards. Oh my god! <laughs> they have these giant claws and they just kill things constantly Jeez. all day long. Um, So we had this, like, question of, like, how do you convey, like, here's a creature that sees trillions of colors, right? We see, I I don't know, tens of thousands of colors or something. Uh, This is a creature that sees trillions of colors. It's seeing infrareds, it's seeing ultraviolets that we can't see. So, like, how do you convey that on a medium that has no pictures, right? I mean, you... You can't even see what another person is seeing on the radio. Mm-hmm. Now we're trying to convey what a creature that can see that we couldn't even see. <laughs> were we even able to sort of show it on TV, mm-hmm. on the radio? Ooh, How yeah. do you do that? Uh, so what we ended up doing was we ended up like uh, having people sing the colors of the rainbow. Right. We had a, I got a choir of 120 people together, and we assigned different frequencies of the color spectrum to different voices, oh and then they harmonized, and so you could hear. The harmony grow from like dog vision to cow vision to mantis shrimp vision. Oh my
1: god, that's so. And so like
0: ooh. you use metaphors is, is mm-hmm. my long answer. It's like you can any, you can do anything in audio as long as you think of it metaphorically, think of it creatively. Oh. Um, and it was a revelatory moment for me. I was like, I don't yeah. think there are real limitations to audio storytelling. Um, I think any story can work if you can figure out a way to make it visual and visceral and surprising and delightful i think you can, anything can work
1: yeah and then obviously like out of like the big massive stories that you consider like every year that you do radio lab or Dolly partner or anything like that which ones work and which ones don't like how how does it work out like kind of sift through the the input to get the ones that you actually produce like what happens when it falls through
0: i mean i don't know i mean the, the ones we produce are the ones that um I mean, we meet every Friday. Mm-hmm. we have an editorial meeting, and uh, about twenty different producers come together and they everybody pitches stories and um you know you'll have like over the course of a few months hundreds of story ideas, and everybody's chasing them and making calls and and it's really mysterious to me which ones work and which ones don't you know like oftentimes. You've got the story and you're like, this is a killer story, this is such a good story. Um, and then you pitch it and it falls flat, or you pitch it, everybody loves it, but then you go out and you find out some key element is isn't true. Oh, um, that's a bummer. It's like stories, stories can fail on you in so many ways. Uh, I often, like at the Trail meetings, we, always, we often talk about how like, stories are trying really hard to hurt you, like they're, they're trying really hard to suck. Um, there's so many ways that a story can suck Uh, and so you know sometimes the ones that succeed uh, it's really mysterious you know I I will say this like almost always the story I think I'm going for is not the story that ends up happening Um, like you know Dolly Parton's America I couldn't have told you it was going to turn out that way Um, I thought I was doing something much different but then there was a moment interviewing a class at the University of Tennessee where I met a bunch of um, students who had really intense relationships to Dolly Parton that went beyond I love her, which is what you hear from a lot of people. It was like, I love her, but I feel like she is cartooning the South, or I love her, but I feel like she, she does this, or I love her she makes me proud. And no one else in my community makes me proud. Like, these really interesting nuanced takes on how she influences their lives. and yeah. Everything changed in that moment. I thought, oh, that's the story I want to do. I want to do the story of Dolly reflected through these, these kids. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that going in. You know, so it's, everything changes. And so it, it's, the, one of the reasons I still do this work is that I can never predict what's going to be a good story and what isn't. Because in the process of doing the story, you grow, you change, and you become a different person.
1: Yeah, well, kind of building off of that, like, how do you decide, like, the theme that you kind of want to ultimately bring it back to? Because usually, like, it goes on the big story loop where you find out, like, something that's, like, fundamentally changes your story that you want to do. So, like, you find out about the students or Mm -hmm. some big question is posed. How do you, do you pick a theme when you start, or do you kind of do your reporting and then come back and think, what's your, your takeaway?
0: My, my own process is something like, it's a hybrid of those two things. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to have an idea before you start. Mm-hmm. I really do feel like before I pick up the mic and go out to interview someone, I have to have a, like a, a notion, I have to have a yeah. point of view. Um, otherwise, I, I wouldn't ask interesting questions, right? <laughs> um, but I also always feel like there's 40% of it, 50% of it's unknown to me, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in that interview or in the whole act of creation. I always feel like in a poker player, right? Is if you're playing poker, you've got the, like, like a, um, what's it called, Texas Hold'em, right? You've oh. got your th- three cards or whatever it is, and then you've got two cards face up, and then you've got a couple cards face down. Yeah. So they're the cards that only you have, there's the cards everybody can see, and then the cards that are face down. I feel like it's some kind of re- ratio like that there's the stuff everybody knows, there's the stuff you have in your head, and then there's the stuff that nobody knows. And I always feel like there's got to be about 30% that just is unknown, completely unknown. Uh, so um, what that results in is that you, you go in, you have a theme, you have an idea, you do a bunch of interviews, you come back, you start to build the thing. And in the building and in the writing of it, you realize there are these massive holes that you hadn't even seen. Oh, wow, I didn't report that hole. Chapter, Like in Dolly Parton's America, as an example. Mm. I did an interview with Dolly. We sat down for four hours and talked through all yeah. these things. She was telling so many stories that I, I almost like got blinded at a certain point. And when I went back and cut the tape, I realized, oh, she's talking about this song that her mom used to sing her when she was young about a woman being murdered. This woman being brutally murdered by a guy yeah. thrown in a river. Your mother used to sing her this song? Mm. What's, what's, what is that? <laughs> so then I ended up like doing a whole bunch of research about murder ballots, which yeah. are this very common thing in Appalachia and have this fascinating history. And that ended up being a whole 15 minute part of the thing. Um, but so you just kind of like, you, you go in with ideas and then things happen and then you begin to build and you realize the holes that exist and you do more reporting. And all the while your theme is changing and it's kind of shifting and changing and it's getting more pointed and surprising. Yeah. Uh, and it's, sort of, it's kind of an iterative process. That's how I work. Um, I know that if you're doing news, you pretty much have to like just go out with an idea, get a clip, plug the clip into the idea and get it on the air. Uh, so it, different, different time turnarounds... Necessitate different processes, but yeah. uh, for me, like we do things over long periods of time, mm-hmm. and you know, a story's got to surprise you like four or five times to to make, to, to make it. Yeah, which means four or five times it's not the story you thought it was.
1: Huh. that's really cool, actually. Yeah. And then, like in your opinion, what makes a successful podcast? Like you said, a story has to surprise you four or five times. So, what are wrote are the criteria? Like, how would you? Ca- what is it? Classify. Podcast is something enjoyable
0: listenable? It's oh, a hard question because, like, I can tell you what I like in the stuff I make, but um, there are so many podcasts that are so much more successful than mine that do none of the things I do. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, like there's—it's like it could be something as simple as like intimacy. You know, mm-hmm. somebody who asks really good questions and creates that sense of shared intimacy like I love the I love uh, Mark Maron's podcast Mm. because he's this comedian and he interviews other comedians and when he interviews other comedians it's really interesting to me because they have this like shared world and you feel like you're listening in on somebody else's like special conversation like that works it's just like he and another person work Um, it's not what I do but so like that that can make a great podcast for me the kind of narrative long-form stuff Mm. that I do I feel like, you know, I want to meet somebody that I really um, connect with Mm -hmm. in the first four or five minutes of a story. Uh, I want there to be something that happens in the story that's surprising, not just surprising, but like startling. Okay. Right? That makes you just be like, wait, what?
1: Yeah, like a whiplash moment? Yeah,
0: where you're just like, I think I need to question everything, (laughs) you know, like that kind of surprise. Yeah. Uh, so like there, in our in our story meetings we talk a lot about the difference between gee whiz and that because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a like cool like there's that kind of surprise and then there's a like whoa so like yeah. I, you need the whoa maybe mm-hmm. two woes per story <laughs> right so I, we think a lot about that that's an ingredient for me um, I think a lot about layers mm. right this is kind of abstract so and I apologize but uh, I think about like every story um it's got to have like four narrative layers in okay. a way, yeah. Like four entry points. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is a story. Like Dolly Parton. This is a story about Dolly Parton. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, it's a story about the South. Mm. Like, oh no, wait, it's a story about, um, you know, the women's movement over the over yeah, was, the so really twentieth like century. It's like there are, there are all of these narrative layers that are in operation, and they're almost like counterpointedly woven yeah. together. So, I think about layers a lot. Mm -hmm. I think about surprise. Um, You know, I just think also, just like there is something, getting back to my first answer, there's Mm -hmm. something about just like two people talking and having like a a, a conversation that's where everything that's happening is new to them. Mm -hmm. Like when you hit those moments in an interview, it's just like so just exciting. Yeah. So, you want those moments. Beautiful music helps. That's true. So I don't know. It's it's like you can make these lists of ingredients, but there are so many stories that work and have none of it. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, and then since you like started Radio Lab and like started podcasting in like early 2000s, like when all of us were like babies or non-existent, like how has so <laughs> weird? I've been no not to like be weird, but I've been listening to your podcast since I was one. So. Just think about so that. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been, like, in the background of my life for, like, ever. Um, but how has, like, what makes something enjoyable or layered or, like, popular, how has that changed since, like, 2003 to 2020? Like, what's the... True crime? There? Yeah. I mean, I don't it's know. Really it's,
0: cool. like, the, now it's it's, it's it's true crime and more true crime, you know? and yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of investigative, like, mm-hmm. series that yeah. uh, there's... You know, it hasn't really changed that much. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, except in the ways I described earlier, it was, it was very much an outgrowth of radio and public radio. Now it's all these different sounds and flavors. Um, But I still think, at the end of the day, like the good stories win. You know, and the good stories that that were good when you were one uh, are still good now. I think. Um, you know, sure. I mean, there are changes that I definitely hear in terms of style. You yeah. know? I mean, I remember when, when we started, and you were one, <laughs> which is so weird to me. 2002? Um, it, like, the, the, the style of editing was shocking to people. Yeah. Like, people didn't get it. And now it's just kind of not, it's so, so not an issue. It's yeah. like, people, like, so that, that's interesting to me. The ways in which the styles have evolved and become much more welcoming. Yeah. Um, that's changed for sure. Um, I think the stories have gotten more complex in the last 15 years, um, and I think that's not just for podcasting but for all of media. You know, you go back and you look at early, early stories uh, in the six, you know, 60s and 70s mm-hmm. in terms of like when you when you start to get these sort of like great film auteurs. Um, the stories are complicated, but they're not. They're not like, now people are playing with structure in such a crazy way and bouncing back and playing with time in a really interesting way. I mean, like from Hill Street Blues to now, uh, none of you will know what Hill Street Blues is. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, But like that that was one of the first TV shows that really messed with structure and messed with time. And uh, from that point to now, things have gotten so layered and interesting. I love it personally.
1: I think it's really cool. Yeah. I like the, the playing with structure and like moving things around and like yeah. especially with true crime, like you take the end of the story and you put it right at the beginning right. Right? and right. then you try and track back how you got there. I think it's just a really cool like inversion of like totally. the Agatha Christie, like you swap it right around. And yeah, just try totally and make it interesting. And then kind of like I think most of us, if not all of us here are like interested in like going into podcasting somehow. So like How do you, like, now, as high schoolers or people who will start making podcasts, how do you get people to listen to you, do you think? Any tips and tricks on... Oh man, that is the question. That is (laughs) the question,
0: and um, it's one of the more profound questions. Uh, But look, I mean, it's such a hard and interesting question in that, like, what you guys are doing back there embodies the beauty and the difficulty of podcasting (laughs) at this moment. Like you don't have to ask permission anymore. Like when I got into radio, public Mm -hmm. radio, um, you interned for four years without pay until they even noticed you. (laughs) And then they might give you something interesting to do at that point, Mm -hmm. Um, if you're lucky, right? But you guys don't have to do that. You Mm -hmm. don't have to ask permission. You can just make a thing and put it on SoundCloud and get it on iTunes and all the things within 48 hours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is amazing. It's that—that is a beautiful reality that I hope you all appreciate yeah. every day of your lives, from the moment you are sentient, <laughs> conscious beings, yeah. not at one, maybe at four, until you die. Yeah. That is a beautiful thing to have. That kind of access is amazing. Um, the the flip side of that is that there—that means everybody can do it. Yeah. So, like, how do you get an audience?
1: Yeah,
0: which is which is actually horrible. That's a horrible it's question.
1: Difficult. Yeah.
0: Um, and I don't know is the short answer. I will tell you this. I mean, here's a here's a for instance, um, Dolly Parton's America. I have I have Dolly Parton, one of the like the the number one global superstar in She's my opinion. Great, I love Dolly Parton. And I have I've done a, a fair amount of work in my so I have mm-hmm. people who follow what I do. It still took about seven episodes for there to build an audience for that. That's just how many podcasts are out there right now. I know. Um, and so everybody has it rough right now. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell you what makes a good podcast work, except Mm -hmm. that like you make a thing and people are captivated by it and they spread it. You guys could make a thing tomorrow and it could go crazy viral. You know, like there's nothing stopping that. Um, That's
1: That's a crazy thought though.
0: It's a crazy thought. Like you, (laughs) like you guys, I mean, it's, it's the, the, the impression might be that I've been doing this for so long that it's like, there's this, distance experientially between what I'm doing and where you guys are at but you could you could cross that distance you could cross that entire gap tomorrow <laughs> if you make a thing that people want to hear oh, I had weird. an intern who um interned with us for a month went off and then six months later made a podcast that blew up and suddenly her life was changed what uh fast? it was called millennial
1: oh oh really and
0: uh, <laughs> yeah it was suddenly like she became the voice of a generation And she was like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) And it was one of those things where, I mean, it's one of the beauties of this immediacy. You make a thing, it goes right to people's ears. Um, So I don't know. The only thing I would say by way of advice, and this is going to be unsatisfying, (laughs) is um, you kind of have to give it a minute, Mm -hmm. you know? You kind of, I mean, at the end of the day, why do you do it? You do it because... It's fun, for me, yes, absolutely. For me, like, there is a kind of deep, primal pleasure when you're sitting in front of a computer and you've got four blocks, mm-hmm. which are four different voices. Yeah. And you're like, I know these four things go together. I don't know how. And so you kind of move this one to the left, move that one to the right, and you cut them and you put them together and then you're just like, oh, they're, just, they're, they're fighting. They're not working. But then there's that moment where you put this one here and that one there and then you hear it. And it just kind of sparks. It's almost like the tape is like waving at you, being like, <laughs> we like this, right? It's a beautiful moment. I, I will always do it for that moment. Mm-hmm. I feel like I just, I figure out the world in those moments. I figure out meaning in those moments. You've got to have that kind of reason to do it. Uh, because in this moment, it might take you 10 years of doing it. it might, or it might take you a day. There's no way to predict it, but what's going to carry you through the hard parts and what's going to make you weather the success, mm-hmm. frankly, because that's that's worse <laughs> than failure, to be honest, um, is uh, it's just like at the end of the day, it pleases me to do this work.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a good place to kind of open up to audience questions and kind of give everyone an opportunity to ask what they're looking to ask. So if you have a question or comment or anything, now's your chance. I'd go for it. As far as the music goes in the podcasts, have you ever, like, done the
0: keyboard, like created the music in Oh, I create podcasts? all the music. Oh, you do? Yeah. We write all the music for the podcast. Great. Um, yeah, so, I, it used to just be me. That's why I, I spiritually, I connect with that room over there, because <laughs> it used to just be me and the little thing and making the noises, and um, occasionally you get a musician in. But no, I, I, I wrote all the music for it, and now I'm lucky to work with a lot of people who write the music with me. Carlos? Did I get so, your name right? Yeah. Okay. You say you said that you uh, do this podcast for like that final pleasure of putting those sounds together. Is there any like material, like motive, almost like to just to entertain, or is it to just get some kind of message out to people, or is it just part purely for that pleasure? It's both. It's both. You know, it's like. Um, It's a little bit like... Uh, trying to think of an analogy that'll make sense. Um, I'll date myself. <laughs> Although vinyl's kind of in, right? You, do you guys, do you yeah. guys own vinyl? It's, yeah. Okay. So, it's like, you know, back in the... Um, no, I wasn't born that long ago. But, you know, like, we would... Uh, in school, we got really into collecting vinyl. And we, we'd, like, have these parties where we'd... Um, we'd basically... Uh, sit down and I was I was gonna, editing in my head. Sorry, we'd, be, we'd sit down and, and play some records for each other, and it would be you know I was really really into um, jazz for a while when I was studying music in school, and there'd be that moment where you'd be like, oh my god, dude, listen to this solo, listen, to just listen, just listen. Do you hear that? Do you hear what they what they just did? And then they'd be like, no, and I'd be like, no, no, let me play it back, and then just you. you you play the solo again and you share these musical moments and you know what you're doing is like sharing a thing that moved you deeply but to see it move someone else completes the experience in some way Um, it's the deepest kind of sharing so for me the sort of second chapter to the thing I was describing of moving the voices around um, you're doing that because it's somehow not real until it's in someone else's mind too and i think that when the when the tape waves what the what the message really there is i think you've unlocked the distance between you and another mind i think that's what the tape is really saying in some way so yeah it's it's about both but it starts very personal and private for me and then it, and then it then you if it were just to stay that way that would feel sad but you so you try and, you try and give it to someone else
1: as you work through these stories, um, a lot of the time some of the stuff can probably get um, more on the controversial end. How do you handle those things in a way to make it accessible to everybody and to not um, take it too far one way way or another because the stories can get bad on some sort of level? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, sure. No, it's a great question. I mean, Radio Lab over the years, and my work over the years, Mm -hmm. more generally, is like, it's, it's we, you know, we do a lot of, like, difficult political conversations, difficult cultural conversations. I mean, Dolly Parts of America was nothing if not that, you know? I was looking at the culture wars, basically, but look through this one person. Um, in those moments, you 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 start by trying your best, but you don't leave it at that, you know? I mean, the process that we go through now is um, we we do a lot. We get a lot of people who do sensitivity listens just to to help you calibrate and make sure you're telling the story you want to tell but also just to help you with your blind spots. Everybody has them, you know. I mean we just put out a story a couple of days ago frankly that where I felt like um, in trying to tell a story we uh, you know we, we we said some things completely inadvertently that I think made a lot of Native communities, like Native American communities, uh, really upset. and. Uh, that was totally unintentional, right? And we had had sensitivity listeners and all that stuff, and, and so you, you, you screw it up as much, I mean, well, not as much, but some of the time, you know? Um, and the best, that we, the best way to do it now and to find that balance is just to have a lot of people listen to it before it hits the audience. Um, and to have people listen to it who don't like you. That, that's sort of one of the big problems that we all make, I think, is we get our friends to listen. But if you're doing a really hard piece, if it's about race, if it's about gender, um, uh, you you kind of need to make sure to get people who don't really have any. Uh, they're not beholden to you in any way. They're just like I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, you're sounding really dumb and really ignorant right here. Uh, but he, you know, so it's like that kind of thing. It's like you just you just try and you just try and surround yourself with people who can be honest. With. I think yeah, you had a question over there. It's usually the last thing I've done. Um, just because I have like a weird amnesia for, uh, for some of the stories. Because you, like, you throw your whole being into them and then, uh, and then they're gone and you just like, you're so traumatized by the experience in some way that you just kind of forget. Um, I, you know, I do feel like the Dolly Parton series captured something that I've been trying to put my, trying to capture for a long time. Um, for me, music, is how I see the world, it's how I process the world, not just musically, but like culturally, politically, and I was able to somehow bring it all together in that series in a way that uh, feels kind of close, like, feels close to you. Why don't you you, you call on people, because I, I want to oh, make sure yeah. I get everybody, yeah. Mm-hmm. You.
1: So you've been doing this since 03,
0: and I feel like um, so the perception from the outside in I feel like it's, A, that you're probably a master at every aspect of podcasting and producing, and then, B, that you enjoy every aspect of podcasting and producing. But I know that can't be the case. What do you hate about, about podcasting and producing? Um, what do I hate about it? I mean, I hate, I, hate, I, I love and hate it all. You know, it's like, it's kind of... <laughs> it's almost too big question it's I I I'll sort of take the entirety of your question uh, so it's I I um, like this this the, 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 the stories that I the, the stories humiliate you they make you feel horrible they make you feel so dumb like just on at every level like you we we you know, the, the style that we started at Radiolab and that I've taken in, is a, it's, like, it's a kind of like, you commit to learning in front of the audience. And so you have frequently these, these moments where you go out and you do an interview, and you kind of know you're not asking the right questions, because like, the answers you're getting are too simple. And you're like, oh, I'm not asking the right question. Like What's going on here? And you're flailing about. And on some level, I'm like, I know this is my job to be dumb right now, but then you go back and you edit that tape. And you have to edit that yourself being stupid for 12 <laughs> hours. And you literally start to a- yell at the, at, the, at the screen. You're like, ask a better question, asshole. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I remember my first interview with Dolly, I, I came back. And she was so blindingly charismatic that I asked like three questions. And the whole time I was editing that tape, I'm like, you, you are so Stupid, <laughs> you know. Or you're supposed to master Like, where? Why aren't you asking a question? Follow up, you know. Like, I'm trying to, you know. So you're having that kind of self-loathing. It's like baked into the process. Um, but, but that's kind of the pleasure of it as well, in some way. Because if you do figure it out, I feel like it's you're figuring you out in some way, like on some like literal level. You're you're figuring out the guy who is dumb and making him smarter. You know, so I feel like there's a way in which it's like it's like therapy, in some weird way. It's like personal growth. So I hate all aspects of it, but I feel like the hate is the engine that 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 uh, that's like thrust It creates movement because then I'll end up at the end of this process being like feeling a little bit taller, you know. So, but the interviewing more than anything I feel like is is the part. If I had to put my finger on more, um, yeah. Uh, so your partner in crime, Robert, is retiring, right? Yeah. Year?
1: And um, we are in in a similar situation sometimes that our um, sometimes we voices leave us after a maximum of three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I am wondering what what you think that's going to do to change the voice or the identity of your podcast? Because I feel like we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll answer it personally, because I this is the first time I'm going through that. Uh, it's as opposed to a three-year cycle; it's a 17-year cycle. But uh, I mean, what's happened at Radio Lab from over those 17 years is that it began as as a duet, as uh, Robert and I. Um, really early in the morning in the studio just improvising, making things up, and then trying to make stories out of that. And uh, over the years what's happened is that we, we hired all of these people who've come and they've stood initially next to us, but now in some cases they're standing in front of us. And they're leading us. And so I see what's going to happen to Radiolab as we've, we're going from a duet to a collective in some way and it's going to be much more about featuring those other producers and um, kind of giving them a platform and it's the, the show will become just what they wake up in the morning wanting to think about you know and so I think it's about people are passionate in leading the program, clearly you 're one of those people and but you created a community, and hopefully that community will own some of that passion and then take it in new directions. Um, I feel like that's it it's like, it's like this emotional handing of the, of the baton in some way um, and allowing it to change and grow and, and uh, I mean the fact that you're all here it's like kind of it's, a, it's good tea leaves are good. <laughs> What makes you choose to do a podcast over a YouTube video? I don't know. That's a good question. I've gotten really, really into YouTube recently. Mm-hmm. I know it's like the old man who's like saying the thing that you guys have <laughs> all been living with your entire lives. But, uh, but like, uh, just like the, um, there's a lot of great, very great public radio esque storytelling happening on YouTube. And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to make a YouTube thing, but then you'd have to like stick a camera in your face, and that seems horrible. You know. <laughs> I feel like the 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 mic is so much more intimate and permissive and I've never been the kind of person that wants to get in front of a camera so maybe it's just like that's just my I'm not of that cast of mind but I I'm I'm a fan of the medium. Amy Like what's your favorite part of, like making all these podcasts? Favorite part is um is the um is when it Goes from being a complete mess to working, which every story has to get to that point. Um, And I love that moment. I love that moment. Yeah. How has Radio Lab evolved as you've grown and hired more people? And how has that impacted the content you choose to make? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Do you want the long answer or the short answer? Long answer. Long answer, okay. (laughs) I was just thinking about this on the plane. you guys, I'll workshop the answer on you guys, in the, in the manner I was describing, where you watch people and see if they get it. Um, when, it, was, when, it when it came about in 2003-ish, um, it was a, we were doing a lot of stories that were interviewing scientists. So it was, I, I don't want to call it a science show, but it was a lot of science reporting on the show. It's more like science for poets is what, is what I was thinking. Uh, But the sort of the principal move that we would do in that phase was um, you talk to a scientist, you have this like really intense conversation about their work and they they talk to you about what they understand and at some point you arrive at that moment where you are beyond the bounds of what they know. And you both... It's almost like you're walking to the pier and you get to the edge of the pier and you look out at the great beyond the ocean and marvel at the world and all of the questions that have yet to be answered. And it's at that moment in a Radiolab story where you kick up the music, nice dreamy music, and someone says something cosmic. And, and so Radiolab phase one was about that moment. It was about leading the audience to that moment. I almost think of my job in that moment as like leading people to moments of wonder, right, Mo- that moment of and then we changed somewhere around 2012, I'd say, 20, somewhere in that zone. We, we shifted, I became really frustrated with just pure science reporting, um, because it somehow presumed that science has a monopoly on the truth. You know, when I think there are so many ways to understand what is true. And, and we, we actually bumped into a bunch of stories where you had a scientific truth slamming up against lived experience. And you literally felt like these two things are both true, but they're contradictory. And that struggle became the principal preoccupation of the show. So as opposed to leading people from moments of wonder, we began to lead them to moments of struggle in some way, which is like a permutation of wonder. You're again looking out beyond what you can know, but it's about not just what science can know, but what humans in their search for truth can know. I almost felt like the show became about epistemology, which is a horrible word but essentially it's like how do you know what you know you know uh william james said knowledge is only one way of knowing uh, and then the show became about that in some way and then um what i feel like we've evo- we're evolving into now is like a, that idea is kind of growing into some new thing where like with the dolly series i feel like what that was for me is say you've got two people who have two different definitions of what is true you can't just leave it at that there's some way in which something has to be revealed to take both parties into a new space right um, like there's this idea in psychology called uh, in, in, in psychology called recognition theory which is like um, if two people are engaged in a relationship like I, told, I know I've totally lost you guys, but I, I'm, work, I'm working this out as we go. Um, the, uh, it's a, so we, we, we were used to thinking of each other as like these autonomous beings. Like, I talk to you. I, mm-hmm. say, I think a thing, and then I say it. You take it in, mm-hmm. and you think about it, and then you say something to me, and then I take that in. It's like we are two beings that are separate, mm-hmm. and we're exchanging words. We're exchanging ideas. Yeah. Um, this theory says that you no, know, when two people are together and they have a relationship, actually they're creating a third thing. They're creating a new thing, uh, and and they call it the third. Right? It's like any good relationship has created a separate entity that is that cannot exist without those two people, but but is is separate from them in some way. And so I feel like the stories Radio Lab is doing right now, that I'm doing, are about finding the third. Right? It's about finding like the things. When you when you come into these places where truth where ideas like bump into each other, how can I hold both of those things together long enough that something new will be revealed? Some new place. I feel like Dolly herself is an embodiment of the third, <laughs> right? She's the thing that everybody who hates each other agrees on. Yeah. Right? And so it's a it's about exploring that space. That's for me what what Radio Lab is. That's the arc as I see it. Cool.
1: Well we have one more question. So to actually producing and editing? what is there one that's this huge giant compared to the other, or is it like kind of equal? Hmm. How, and
0: how do you manage that? The balance of that shifts a lot depending on the story. Um, I will say that we spend sometimes two years on a story. Um, and it's not two full years. It's like... You do an, you, you go. I mean, usually we're there's like four or five reporting trips, so you're that's five days. Um, but then there's tons of interviews in the studio. There's a lot of like background interviews. Um, I'd say like ratio of tape to what gets on the air, probably like forty fifty to one. So I mean, maybe more, but that's not that bad in some way. You know, it's like if you're doing. I mean, if you think about it, it's like not a ton of extra things, but the reporting can take a long, long time, and then you layer onto that fact-checking, which has become a huge part of the end game. And, um, so that part of it takes a long time. The actual building part, a lot happens really quickly. You know, We plan a lot more than we actually build these days. So we plan and report for huge swaths of time, and then when you feel like you've got it, then you just like, boom, 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 boom and then put it up.
1: Cool. Well. That's our time. So, thank you so much for coming
0: in and visiting us. It's been absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you, guys.